Today's episode is brought to you in part by Patchworks.com. I never thought I would be a person who says brought to you in part by, but that's the world we live in. Um, and Patchworks it exists in the world we live in. Did you see how I tied that together? Um, I would love it if you visited Patchworks.com and checked out their amazing assortment of new and used gear. Uh, I also gave Patchworks a bunch of stickers, a bunch of PodMod stickers, so you might get one in an online order, but if you're in the Seattle area and you want to swing down there and pick one up, that would be sweet. Um, it's been cool to hear from everybody who has uh, heard about Patchworks from the show and, and ordered stuff off of the online store and telling me what, what they got, so uh, I would love it if that continues. So if you go to Patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com, and buy something because you heard about it here on the show, let me know. I want to know what you got. Pod Mod Bods, welcome back to another episode of Podge of the Modcast. Today's guest is Heidi Chan, a.k.a. Bachelard. And in my little uh, intro there, when I was talking about Patchworks, you heard her track, which is entitled One, from her EP called Heartworms and Expos. And we're going to listen to some more of her music shortly. But I've got a lot of stuff to talk about. There's a lot of cool stuff happening right now in the world of Modular. And one of those things is going to be happening October 5th. 2019 at the substation in seattle washington um it's modular seattle and patchworks presents velocity a trade show synth meet workshops performances i'm gonna do a live podcast and uh the lineup has not been announced yet but uh there's gonna be some pretty pretty cool and big names on that so uh if you're in the seattle area and you want to come it's gonna be all day it's gonna be a whole lot of fun um but go to VelocitySeattle.com to, uh, to keep an eye out for that lineup. I'll be announcing it once they do on the show. Um, yeah, so Velocity. It's going to be really, really cool. I also want to talk about the, the Spike XL stand and the Calibri stand from uh, Crema Cafe. They make such cool... Um, just all these different it's all sorts of stuff uh, stands and cases and um but it's all like this nice wood and it the stands break down into three pieces and you can put them in a little travel bag they're really good for traveling um i I just brought my spike xl stand to a cabin in the woods because of course i can't not bring my synth out there um and it would just worked out perfectly anywhere i wanted to to set my synth down and have it you know sitting at a beautiful angle that just invites me to play it uh, it was it was able to do that. So check out cremacafe.shop. That's C-R-E-M-A-C-A-F-F-E dot shop. So yeah, check those out. Very cool stuff. Um, also very cool stuff. Uh, Waveform Magazine. I see people posting pictures on Instagram of getting their hard copies in the mail. So that's really exciting. Ellison and his wife, M have worked very hard to make this come into fruition. Um, and it's just so cool to see everybody posting about it and enjoying it. And if you don't know what that is, go to waveformmagazine.com to sign up for your free subscription. It is a print magazine like it's a real tangible object to hold um so that's very very exciting and also something else that's very very exciting um i have a a little bit of an announcement to make here we have pod mod shirts
So there are a couple different designs. We have a pod mod design and then a pod mod bod design. It's the upgraded logo, uh, the new show logo, and I'm very excited about it. And I've already moved quite a few, so if you want one, I would act fast. I'm going to order more once they're out, but um, yeah, if you want to get in on, on this first run go to podularmodcast.bandcamp.com that's where the t-shirts are for sale and i'm going to uh, probably be loading some music up onto that bandcamp as well some patch challenges maybe i know i've been talking about a patch challenge album that's just uh it takes a lot of time to do something like that and i haven't had that um speaking of time time is money you know what i'm saying and money talks or money walk i don't know there's a bunch of sayings about this. I tried, I failed, but here is what I want to talk about. Uh, the Patreon. I really appreciate everybody who's been helping out on, uh, supporting the show. And, um, if you want to go to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast, uh, there's all sorts of fun tiers. In fact, one of my favorites is, um, it's uh, a So what you do is you, you sign up for this tier and then you give me an adjective and a noun and then I time myself. I give myself 15 minutes to make a patch based off of your suggestion. I record a performance of it. I send you a wave file of that performance, and then I take a video and put it on Instagram and tag you. And if you want, I can give you uh, your adjective and noun, and uh, you can you can do the same thing, and then uh, I can share it on the show. So uh, yeah, why don't you go check that out? I got a couple new cool kids to announce. And if you don't know what that is, that is a uh, one of the, the tiers. If uh, you sign up for this particular tier on Patreon, I will officially uh, induct you into the uh, PodMod Cool Kids Club. So, Prentice Riddle, you are officially a PodMod Cool Kid. Thank you so much. Also, Tyler Gilmore, you are officially a PodMod Cool Kid. Thank you so much so yeah go to patreon.com forward slash podular podcast um, i also want to talk about an event that's coming up that i will be playing along with cindy reichel from patchworks and giselle garcia she's going to bring her bukla music easel it's a very strange uh lineup of things to be happening at the same time but it's going to be on father's day uh sunday june 16th uh, at South Park Hall in South Park, neighborhood of Seattle. And uh, it's going to be, it's a benefit thrown by 1 million tampons, which I've talked about a few times on the show. Uh, so basically, it's going to be a waffle bar, Bloody Marys, and karaoke. So while people are eating their waffles and getting their liquid courage drank to get to the karaoke, there's going to be three modular sets. So that sounds like, sounds like wearing camouflage with tie-dye, but I don't know you know so many different things and kind of clashing but i think i think it's going to be an interesting event so if you want to come help out uh, a good cause and you're in seattle come down to south park hall on father's day sunday june 16th and i'm almost done rambling we're going to get to a couple demos and our chat with heidi but i just gotta say that i just got my masters for music to come down to my new album i got my masters back from nathan moody over at obsidiansound.net and uh I am blown away with how much he brought them to life. Uh, it's just, you know, like, it's it's such an important process. And, you know, you think like, oh, no, I can do it myself. And it's probably you can't. <laughs> Maybe you can. I certainly can. Um, and it's, you know, it's such, such a useful thing to have because you put so much time into an album. You want it to sound as good as possible. Um, Nathan also gave me, like, 
paragraphs worth of mixed notes. Um, you know, he's, he said I did a good job, but he also had some pointers for me and reading through them. I'm just, you know, like, Oh my God, I, I haven't thought of that. Or that's a good idea. He gave me just, just on this feedback. I've already gotten a bunch of inspiration to try new things when I'm recording and working on the next thing. So not only does my album sound amazing, I, uh, I have some, some great tools to head into the next one. So go to, go over to obsidiansound.net And, uh, if you, if you tell Nathan that I sent you, you can get yourself a 10% discount. And uh, if he, he doesn't just do mastering. He'll do mixing, too. Um, and he'll do mixed notes. So he's, he offers all sorts of services. And he's, he's very quick. And he's, he's super receptive of, you know, there's, you do some back and forth. He's, uh, yeah, he's just very, very pleasant to work with and does amazing work. So obsidiansound.net. And this track we've been hearing is uh, by Heidi Chan aka Bachelard, uh, and it's called Release, and it is off of her album, To Place To Free. T-O Place, comma, T-O Free. Um, and yeah, it's an amazing it's an amazing set of songs. Go over to uh, bachelard.bandcamp.com to check out all of her great music. Let's check out a demo and get into this chat. Alright, so recently I got a couple new modules from low gain electronics, uh, the dub matrix and the short bus and the CVP one. Today we're going to look at the, uh, dub matrix and the short bus. Um, not going to go super in depth right now. I'm just going to kind of do a really, really cool, busy patch and, uh, play around with these things and show you how useful they are. They're just you can't have enough good utilities in your rack. Uh, the Dub Matrix is a five-channel, 40 HP active matrix mixer. So it has uh, five input channels, five attenuators, five input cut switches, pre-summing matrix, five output cut switches, post-summing matrix, and five output jacks with normalization uh, expansion header. So uh, it's CV and audio friendly, and uh, yeah, it's, it's super, super fun. Um, we're going to get back to that in a second, but let's talk about the short bus really quick. Now, what the short bus is, is uh, it's a passive seven input logic gate or combiner. Um, so it's, it's really good for mixing a bunch of different triggers and gates uh, for drums. So let's just bring up the short bus right now is being fed by uh, Omi Industries Ileana logic module the shuffling clock multiplier from 4ms and the make noise tempi um so and i'm using erica erica sense pico drums so let's see what that sounds like with the short bus controlling the trigger uh trigger one and trigger two from the erica pico drums so basically with the short bus a and b output i have the a going into trigger one and the b going into trigger two of the pico drums and i've just got every um every selector switch um, kind of one's A, the next one's B, one's, you know, back and forth, A, B, A, B, down, down the line. And uh, I'm going to switch those really quick and just change the speed up a little bit. And I'll switch them back. Now, I purposely made a little bit of a clunky beat here because I want to show you how the Chrono Blob 2 from All Right Devices can uh, really spruce up a drum beat.
So right now I'm not using any um, modulation on the uh, the chrono blob, but let's do that now. Let's before we engage that, let's talk about what we're doing. I'm using uh, the dub matrix. I'm using using the B and C outputs, and I'm mixing a bunch of envelopes and a sequence, some LFOs, and uh, some slopes. Um, with the dub matrix and then I've got each channel attenuator like kind of dialed in differently so different combinations of all the same um, all the same modulation sources so you might think well why would you want to combine five modulation sources but when you get when you get the attenuators and you start balancing you know for, for the particular sound that you're looking for for whatever you know, parameter you're controlling with each channel it, it can really spruce things up I hope that made sense. This is kind of hard to talk about, so let's just listen. So now I've got the B and C channel from uh, Dub Matrix going into the left and right uh, time attenuators on the uh, Chrono Blob 2, and it's in the ping pong mode right now. And it's also in smooth delay mode. Watch what happens when I put it into the, uh, the tape delay. So that's pretty cool. Now I'm going to use the recovery effects oscilloscape for a bass drum that's being triggered by the Chef and Clock multiplier. And then um, I've also got the 2HP pluck, which I'm sending into the stereo dipole filter. So let's see what that sounds like. So I haven't introduced any uh, CV to the stereo dipole yet, but let's see what happens when I put one of the uh, the outputs from the dub matrix into the the decay decay input of the 2HB plug. That's pretty cool. So I've got the uh, stereo dipole filter. I've got Erica. Pico drums going into the A channel of that, and then I've got um, I've got the 2HP pluck going into the B channel of that. So let's, and then they're both going into the dual reverb on the disting, and I'm recording the dry, uh, wet mix on that with a, an LFO from Angle Grinder. You following all that? You got all that? And then finally, I'm uh, running the AB output, the dipole output from the uh, stereo dipole filter into the Atom from After Later Audio and running a gate uh, in that from the stereo or the shuffling clock multiplier. So let's bring that in. So let's introduce some CV to that stereo dipole filter. Turn on... Uh, channel A from the dub matrix. And then we'll put uh, some in from channel D. Just as a reminder, I'm going to turn off every channel on the uh, dub matrix to show you how different this patch sounds. So that's with nothing from the dub matrix. Now let's turn all those back on. 
Now I'm just going to randomly turn these attenuators and uh, just show you how this thing can morph as I blend these CVs in different ways. Let's change this uh, this tempo. Let's do some crazy stuff. I'm continuing to mess with the attenuators on the dub matrix. Make sure to go check out Logain Electronics. Uh, really, really cool stuff happening over there. And I'm, I'm going to be talking about them some more. And we're going to get in a little bit more depth with this dub matrix. But I'm still wrapping my head around it. Uh, also, don't forget to check out the Chrono Blob 2 from uh, All Right Devices. I'm having a lot of fun with this. The Stereo Dipole Filter from Steady State Fate. Uh, and the Iliana from Omi Industries. a lot to cover um and i don't know where to start and i say that on almost every episode (laughs) but um let's how about let's just start let's start with your background from as early as you want to go when did music get you and when did you want to when did you know that you wanted to be a musician Mm -hmm. what were those first instruments and how did we end up where you're at right now with all the stuff you do uh particularly like the uh kind of experimental um loop-based modular stuff that you're doing mm-hmm. um yeah wow let me think all the way back um going back i i uh i think very early on 
um, I was already quite sensitive to music, I think. Um, my mom uh, played the Chinese zither, the guzheng. So um, she's always played it since I was very young. So I was exposed to, you know, traditional Chinese music. Um, but I also grew up... Mm-hmm. So, sorry, is that a, is that a bowed instrument? No, it's a it's a strummed instrument. So it's like the okay. Chinese harp. Okay, and okay. it's like you put it on 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 a stand and you strum it. It's like the the, the Japanese koto, which I think people oh, yeah, are a little yeah. bit more familiar with. Uh, the Chinese one is a little bit bigger. It's got more strings. Uh, it's a bit more resonant. Um, okay. So I listened to a lot of that growing up. Um, I grew up listening to a lot of um, my family. I, I'm, I'm Chinese, so my family is from Hong Kong, and uh, I grew up listening to a lot of canto pop, which is pop music okay. from Cantonese pop music from Hong Kong. So, um, from a very young age, I was exposed to very um, sort of melodic, predictable, structured uh, pop music. Uh-huh. Um, and then I. I you know, my parents uh, allowed me to take various uh, instrument lessons. Uh, so I took piano, violin, some Chinese instruments. And um, so that was kind of early on. And and then I sort of didn't really, wasn't too serious in music. Like I didn't play music in high school. Um, and it wasn't until sort of university, uh, first year university, I... Uh, I came across uh, Japanese taiko drumming in, okay. in university, and um, and at that time I was, I I think I had already started like writing my own songs, you know, in in the bedroom, and um, but sort of Japanese taiko drumming. I saw a concert, um, and I was really uh, curious about drumming. Uh, at the time, I, I hadn't had any training in drumming, um, and they happened. The group happened to be holding, doing like an, a workshop. So I took the workshop. Uh, thought it was really cool. You know, it seemed I seemed to have picked up you know things pretty quickly. It came pretty natural, and so I, so I kind of embarked on this Japanese taiko drumming journey, uh, which I ended up playing uh first in a community group and then i played professionally for for a number of years um wow so that's pretty cool to go from not really playing much in high school if you yeah. feel like a lot of people who make it to that level kind of start at a really young age so it's, mm-hmm. you must have been a natural yeah i don't i, I don't i i'm not sure i mean i think if i think about it now i think rhythm is something i've i've always been quite sensitive about um Mm -hmm. so yeah so taiko drumming traditional japanese music um i ended up also learning the japanese flute through the taiko group um and then so you know that was that has been a really formative experience in my life in terms of um learning how to be a professional um musician okay okay um and then and then after that, I uh, I decided to, after Japanese taiko drumming, I actually got really serious into drumming and, and I decided to um, learn the drum kit. So I ended up, started taking drum kit lessons. And so for a few years, I was really heavily into drumming. I ended up doing another uh, university degree in music, um, focusing on 
like jazz drumming. And it was in during the second university degree that uh, while I was doing like jazz courses, the university also uh, offered digital music courses. And okay, okay. And at that time, uh, I think at home I, I, I already started um, making my own music with um, like a demo version of Cakewalk. You know, back okay. yeah, that's way what back I used when, when I, first um, I was writing my own music, but I was extremely self-conscious about what I was doing and I didn't really feel confident to ask other people to, you know, help me play my music. So somehow, somewhere, I think my dad got me like a a demo version of Cakewalk where you can't save or anything. So Oh gee. <laughs> and I and I didn't really know how to use it. I, I didn't even use like the audio thing i had like you know an old pc and i so i just used the general midi sounds in the built-in sound card and just made all these songs and i had to in order to capture it i had to record it off my computer speakers onto my walkman like that was the only (laughs) way i knew how to because i couldn't save it that's a pretty that's a pretty good idea though (laughs) um and like i couldn't turn off my computer for months if i was working on a song because then i I couldn't (laughs) save the projects or anything so so for a few years i was i was that was the extent of my digital music um exposure until i got to you know university these digital music courses um and then i and then we were introduced to reason Mm. And uh, we were introduced to Cubase. And at the time, it was Reason, Recycle, Cubase. Uh, Reactor was 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 uh-huh. already... I did a course called Sonic Architecture where we learned how to, you know, put, put a synth together using Reactor. Um, so from then on, I was really sort of into making music in, in the DAW. And, and uh, I think mostly in Reason and in Cubase. Um, And then, you know, on and on, I was still doing, like, Taiko, and I was then still making my own music. Um, And then I end up working, after graduating, I end up working um, at a little music store in Toronto called Saved by Technology. Uh, Maybe some folks uh, are familiar. Um, It's, I think, the first music retailer in Canada that specialized in um, computer music tools. Um, Like the first one in Canada that actually sold Pro Tools. Um, Jim Burgess, the owner, he used to have a studio uh, on the second floor of the store and he would have um, guys like Stevie Wonder and and Rush come in to record and he was one of the first, Jim was one of the first guys that sold like synthesizers in Canada. Um, wow. Okay. So I worked there on and off for a few years. Um, so through through sort of being a product specialist, um, I got more exposed to music technology and software and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, recently, and then a few years ago, one of my colleagues at the store. He got into modular, and then he okay. he started like buying stuff off people. People came into the store to sell him some modules, <laughs> and then he was like, "Oh my god, Heidi! Like you, you got You got to get into this like Eurorack stuff." And I'm like, wow, "What is this?" Like at the time, I swear, like I didn't like we had a Korg MS20 Mini, and and I didn't like I I didn't 
know the difference between a trigger and a gate. I, you know, I couldn't make sense of the patch bay. And he's like, no, man, like you really got to get into this. <laughs> and so <laughs> There's always that friend, right? Yeah, That's how I got yeah, into so it. Was, I had three of them at the same time being like, you got to get into this. <laughs> yeah. So he was, he was that friend. And, um, and my first modules were, um, I got them used. And I remember my first modules were a Disting Mark II or Mark I okay. and, uh, and the uh, Synthesis Technology uh, Morphing Terrarium. Those were my... They okay, were well, so, so you, could, you could do stuff. Those two together, I feel yeah. like you could actually have some fun with. Yeah, yeah and, and, that, and that enabler friend uh, gave, me one of, <laughs> what, gave me his extra uh, tip-top rack uh, rails and ears. So I had an enclosure. Uh, I think I had to get my own power supply, but those were my two modules. I had no, like, I didn't even have patch cables when I bought the modules, (laughs) you know, but I think like, I think like all, uh, everyone who's started on their Eurorack journey knows that it, it didn't, it wouldn't have taken long to, you know, just, just get totally into it, fill up the rack, got like a ton of cables. And, and so, you know, got a VCA, got a filter. And then from then on, it was like modular grid all day, every day. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> so I'm curious, you, you've talked a lot about soft sense and, and, you know, uh, and working in a DAW was, was modular kind of your, your dip, your first dipping of your toes into, uh, like actual, hardware stuff or had you had you messed around with you know some some just regular synths before yeah i think i i did get a variety of hardware stuff in the past um there was another store in toronto a secondhand music store that that was really popular called songbird music that sold a lot of that sold used music gear and um I remember seeing like 303 and 606 and I th- at one point I got an SH101 from there. Okay. Um, but at the time I didn't I I actually didn't really know much about synthesis so um you know, I don't have it anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Well, when you got modular, I mean, I, yeah. I I don't really play with any anything but I mean, I have like a Volca Beats, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, um I'm curious, this is something that I'm always fascinated in, is mm-hmm. um, it, it seems like some people find the music and then seek out the technology to make the kind of music that they're listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like it may have been a little opposite for you. It sounds like maybe you listen to a lot of classical and jazz and then some mm-hmm. pop. Mm-hmm. Did you Did you start seeking out a little more obscure electronic music once you got into the technology? Or was there stuff that kind of lured you into getting a little bit more experimental with what kind of stuff you were using? Yeah. Um, yes, B, uh, which is okay. like, yeah, I, I, I grew up listening to not, you know, a lot of kind of electronic or experimental music. Um, although when I, when I was in my undergrad and I started using Reason and, and Cubase and we were, we were asked to do like some sample based compositions and we were learning about music concrete and we were learning about these different electronic music genres. So at that time I, I sought out a lot of um, music that I, I wasn't listening to growing up. So, you know, went to the library, took out all these like um, 
compilations, you know, uh, of like early electronic music or, um, yeah, just a lot of just a lot of compilations and um, some of the some of it I got into and others I don't. And I think still to this day, I think the music that I make is very often not the kind of music I listen to. You know, that's the same thing with me. That's so. Yeah. I was just thinking about that today because um, are you familiar with Bill Callahan or, or Smog? No, no. Um, it, he's he's like a. Um, well, for a really long time, he was lo-fi indie. He's been around forever. And mm-hmm. then when he went from Smog to just his name, Bill Callahan, he's kind of like um, Americana, but with some, but it's it's almost like psychedelic Americana. Mm-hmm. Anyways, his new out, al- he released part of his new album today and it's mostly acoustic. And, and I, mm-hmm. and I just, I listen to his stuff so much yeah. and I, it was funny to think, I was like, man, all I make is bleepy bloopy yeah. atmospheric stuff but yeah. the stuff that I'm listening to is mostly guitar and, and a baritone voice you know it's kind of yeah. it's funny how that works out it's funny to hear you say that yeah and and I had the conversation with with another acquaintance recently as well as he, and and he was like yeah like the music I listen to is totally not the music I make and yeah like these days I I I make like totally exactly like bleepy bloopy ambient <laughs> stuff but you know, on my phone, I've got like Canto Pop, I've got like Suzanne Vega, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, like, uh, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of, you know, people like Matthew Herbert and, and so I, I, I do like that kind of like, you know, Matthew Herbert's like sample based stuff. And, uh-huh. um, you know, I grew up listening to Bjork and, and all that stuff and David Byrne solo stuff, which, which are very, um, Okay, those will plant those will plant the seeds of weird yeah, in your yeah. head for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I mean I definitely listen to some elect I mean I I listen to a lot of electronic. I don't know why I was about to say some, but mm-hmm. I find like if it's if it's just me and I'm just going to, you know, put on some headphones or something mm-hmm. and it, it's it's usually it's usually kind of a little bit more traditional and yeah. I don't know if this is just the I don't I don't know if this is true, but I I sometimes I think well the reason I tend to not listen to stuff that's close to what I make is I might be influenced too much by it. Like, yeah, I, if I sit down. Yeah. yeah. If I sit down right now and try to write a song on guitar and try to write some lyrics or something mm-hmm. currently, it will just sound like a really, really low rent version of Bill <laughs> Callahan's. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. Oh, stay away from that. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, like I, I also, I think part of why I don't listen to the music I make as well is I I I don't want to be too influenced by other people's sounds that are very yeah, close to e- what I do. Mhm. It's yeah. easy it's easy to do that and um I don't know, especially with stuff like with like a modular thing cuz it's like for me I don't usually have an idea of what I want I don't have the sound in my head before I start patching. Mm-hmm. I'm usually kind of just like, well, I want to use this particular voice. And then I, I follow that. Yeah. So I'm being led by the sound. And if yeah. I've been listening to something, I could sneak in and I could almost have it lead me in a direction that yeah. I'm yeah. maybe not realizing. Do you also doing. find that sometimes you start from a place of like wanting, like just a place of education? Like, okay, today I'm going to, 
just sort of play with this module or play with these two modules and I do yeah not which is kind of new for me Be mm -hmm. but one of the main reasons I do that is because a part of the show is I, I do demos of companies modules mm -hmm. so when I get them I, I have to sit down to learn how to use them so I yeah. can accurately talk about them and I find that it's kind of a weird trade-off because most of my time I spend patching is yeah. is actually doing that is building demos and stuff okay um so I don't get a lot of time to actually compose my own music. Mm -hmm. But the flip side of that is I'm relatively new to this instrument anyway. So it's, mm -hmm. it's probably works out for the better that yeah. I have to sit down and learn how to do something. Yeah. And I think in, in terms of an instrument, especially for people like I'm one of those people that for the first like two or three years, I was just swapping modules out like in and out. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> constantly uh -huh. so this yeah. so-called instrument was always new you know like it, every other week or every few weeks it, it would like physically there was it's something funny. new in there it's funny yeah. you say that because i was listening to your uh your newest album today yeah. before we started chatting mm -hmm. and uh, i have some new modules i need to demo so as i was listening to your album i completely emptied one of my cases and yeah. like just sat there and, and pieced it back together and now i'm looking at it and i'm like Oh, now I don't know how to play this instrument anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's like the weird, really weird thing about the modular. I mean, I also know people who like don't ever sell sell stuff. Or, yeah, I have you know? a couple friends like that, and yeah. I, I don't understand them. But you know, the funny <laughs> thing is, is they're both really good synthesists. So right, yeah, <laughs> it pays off. Yeah. So do you? So do you find that too when you're sitting down? Do, do you? Do you set aside time just to for education? Yeah, I think I go back and forth. Um, I think be also because of like the first two or three years I was so like into the idea of just wanting to try everything and trading stuff, selling and buying. Um, mm -hmm. So most of the time I, I just end up like playing with the new stuff and trying to like use, use the new, you know, whatever's yeah, in totally. my case at the time. Um, nowadays, I mean, recently I've downsized to um, like, eight modules i have a tiny wow. little case um and it's really different because like i have a show coming up on saturdays because it's national drone day up here in canada so we're <laughs> doing a drone drone set and i think for the first time in live performance i think i'm going to be doing live patching because oh, wow. i have so few modules uh -huh. i feel like it, before I had a 6U, like 104 HP, and I always had everything pre-patch. Yep. Um, otherwise, I get too overwhelmed and, you know. Um, but because I have so few modules, uh, I'm I'm limited. So I feel more, actually feel more confident in like live patching. Cause I've, That's funny you say yeah. that. Yeah, I, I was, I've, I've been thinking about, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll just downsize or just, you know, put a few modules in the case just to kind of see what I can do mm -hmm. with it to, to, to push myself. And, and yeah, I can, I could totally see that actually mm -hmm. being a lot easier because sometimes I've got so much stuff in there yeah. that I look at it and I'm like, I don't, I don't know where to start. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel the same way. I don't know where to start or like I last few shows I, when I still had my six UKs, like I had to write notes for myself, but even then, like halfway through the performance, I'm totally off the notes already. <laughs> like, totally. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, something I find 
so if I sit down and say I'm like I'm gonna I want to make this this patch, you know, mm-hmm. this is just this isn't an education thing. I'm not trying to make a demo. I want to make this patch. I find my like sometimes that doesn't go so well, and yeah. I end up, you know, patching for half an hour, and not liking it, ripping mm-hmm. everything out, mm-hmm. repeat. You know, do that three or four times, yeah. and sometimes I'll I'll do that for hours, and nothing will come out of it. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be like, okay, I have to learn how to make this module or learn how to use this module, mm-hmm. and. I'll end up making something be like, okay, well now I need to record this because this is actually a viable track. It's yeah, kind of, yeah. And I almost wonder if, if, if it's some sort of weird pressure I put on myself, like, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, I'm kind of curious to see how that goes with you with the live patching thing, because one, you're under the gun so that mm-hmm. that will be some sort of pressure, but there's almost less pressure to create something that you think is the best work you could possibly do because you're like, well, I'm patching this live. So I, I wonder how that psychologically will, yeah, will pan out. Me too. <laughs> I mean, I, I, was, I hope I didn't make you more nervous. No, I was actually talking to my friends who I'm sharing the, the, the bill with. Um, and I was saying like, you know, it's, Partly it's because I have a smaller setup. Like I have only mm-hmm. so few modules, only, you know, fewer options in terms of signal, a signal path, but also because it's, it's, it's a drone set <laughs> that, right. yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, I think if it was, if, and, and we were planning, there's four of us, we're planning to kind of just have one weave into each other, you know, um, sort of okay. the end of one set the other person goes up and starts to do their set sort of thing um well that's kind of cool you get a bit of a launching pad you know at least yeah. you know you can get off the feed off their vibe or something yeah feed off their vibe and and because the the kind of music we will be doing is is a bit more slowly evolving um i think that also gives me a little bit less pressure to be like i need to patch something really quickly to generate changes really quickly right um, right and and I mean, I, yeah, and I do have a, a couple of ideas already to, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and when you have that few modules and if you're comfortable with all of them, then you, yeah. you, you kind of have a few tricks up your sleeve, I'm assuming, you know, I imagine you would. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I kind of already, you know, I can do like one of, you know, a couple of things I can, you know, ping my uh, variable Q filter, you know, to start with mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Um, I was talking with Darwin Gross a while ago, mm-hmm. and he he said that he he always goes on like when he does a live performance, he starts with a blank slate. And I'm just like, you're crazy. That's crazy. Like, well, yeah, yeah. He's like, all you know, all else fails, a sine wave into reverb or delay. Like that'll get you started. Like, yes, yeah, yes, that makes sense. <laughs> and and yes, um, I do have I do have my uh, reverb and delay pedals that. <laughs> Okay, so you work with pedals for for your reverb and delay? Yeah, I have an Eventide Space. Um, oh yeah, I have a oh, yeah. Di- digi- yeah, that's like all the reverb I'll ever need in my life. So that thing is amazing. Yeah, um, I also have a. So the loop albums uh, that you were listening to before was mostly made on two Eventide time factors. So I use them, use two time factors, time factors as loopers, and that's okay. how those albums came about. Um, okay. That's kind of like, so, a, hmm, yeah. When you make, when you, so when you make albums, do mm-hmm. you, is it kind of, do you just improvise something and then if you like it, record it and that goes to the album or do you, do you almost write, I guess it's hard to write in loops, but I guess you, you could do it. Um, what's, what's your process like? Because I, I really enjoy your stuff. You do really, really oh, interesting stuff and it is, you know, like 
the, there, there's, as I was listening to the, your record today, I was thinking to myself, there, there is, there's something to be said about someone who could make something that is droney and repetitive loop based that remains engaging for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people think of loops as like, Oh, that'd get boring. And it's like, well, the good, the people who really know how to do it Mm -hmm. can keep you engaged. And you are one of those people. Um, thank you. So, yeah, I'm just curious about what your writing and recording process is. Um, I think the idea of like keeping in the music engaging, I think there's a bit of me that still has that sort of pop sensibility. Mm-hmm. That's not so when I do this ambient stuff, I'm still thinking of like old canto pop music. It's like <laughs> there's still structure, there's still like changes and there, you know, there's still some kind of thing that keeps you engaged and there's still like this catchiness to it. Um, and mm-hmm. so when I was working with the, the, the dual time factor as loopers, like I was really, um, like mo you know, most of my modular stuff or looping stuff is all like non-synced. So I think part, oh. part of, I think maybe why it might also um, it feels like it's continuously changing is because I work with like asynchronous loops so they're all constantly sort of tumbling over each other so nothing's synchronized that's funny you say that because I, I that that I never know that never like consciously popped in my head so mm-hmm. that's also another talent to be able to do that because I'm I'm running a clock into everything all the time mm. um, and yeah. I'm, I'm almost curious if I'm at the point to where maybe I should remove a clock and just mm. and see what happens mm. yeah so i think it's also from my like sensibility as as a drummer you know i've like i've played well, that makes a lot of sense i've yeah. played for so many years you know in time uh-huh. and i'm like okay now i don't i don't want to deal with like doing anything in sync anymore i mean was I st- that a conscious decision to be to be like hey every i've been the timekeeper for so long i kind of want to like step outside of that yeah yeah actually okay i mean i still have have opportunities you know to play you know traditional japanese music to to play drums and stuff but this the the modular stuff the electronic stuff is yeah it, i think it's my chance to abandon all the timekeeping um but not abandon the sense of rhythm and not not abandon the sense of um patterns and like i'm always thinking about patterns but but not but not everything in in sync so that's so cool yeah so i i actually found out about you through instagram i think Mm -hmm. i i don't know probably through hashtags or something and Mm -hmm. i you know um and then i got somehow got onto your um heartworms and expos Mm -hmm. album Mm -hmm. and uh, i think you were one of the first um, artists that I played on one of the early episodes. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, um, yeah. You re- you you had asked if you could play one of the pieces on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a great album. So Thank I, you so I much. urge everyone. And I don't think we've. I, I'll, I'm, I said it in the intro, but mm-hmm. um, we haven't talked about the the moniker mm-hmm. in which you make mm-hmm. make this music. And is it is it Bachelard? Is that how you say it's it? Bachelard. It's um. It's a. Uh, it's after the, f- there's a French philosopher named Gaston Bachelard. And um, a couple of years ago, I came across one of his books called The Poetics of Space. And mm-hmm. he writes about, he, he kind of goes through this analysis of like 
poetry, but he kind of psychoanalyzes um, a lot of famous poetry in in how they evoke um, different spaces in a home, like different senses of home. And so it was really cool because I, I moved around a lot when I was like throughout my life, I've moved around a lot. So reading about, um, you know, he has actually the, not Heartworms and Expo, but the previous album, all the song names are based on the chapters in his book. So he has a whole chapter about, you know, drawers and he has a whole chapter about the seller and what and what that means like psychologically you know what do we put in in the in the cellar or in the attic you know um psychologically what does that mean for us um and so i that's crazy so i found that uh, that really inspiring and poetic and and so i and so I, i think that inspired me to really personalize my music and to use sort of my the tools I've been acquiring to explore those, I think, emotions for me, like about memory and and my sense of home and and all of that stuff. And so I so that's where that's when I decided to sort of name my project Bachelor. It's from from that book. I, I love I love this idea of of being inspired to create music by non-musical, um, you know, forms of media. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a really interesting idea. And I think that kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier of not, of not allowing a sonic influence in mm-hmm. to where, you know, so you feel like you're maybe, I don't know that I feel mm-hmm. like that could lend itself to, having more of your own voice, which you definitely Mm -hmm. do, you know, like Mm. your, all your tracks sound different from each other, but Mm -hmm. they sound like they're made by the same person, which Mm -hmm. I think is a, you know, a good indication of a a good songwriter. Mm. Good. Um, it's, so it's funny you mentioned the home thing. This is going to sound kind of cheesy. I'm Mm. sure people are going to roll their (laughs) eyes, but this was something I was thinking about. I was, I was gone for, uh, a three day weekend with a bunch of, uh, my best friends that I grew up with just Uh this last weekend. Uh And, um, you know, when I go and visit where I grew up, that used to be home. But yeah. when I go there, I don't feel that sense of home anymore. It, it kind of uh-huh. switched to the town that I went to college in. And, yeah. and it's, it's funny how this is, this is where it's going to get really cheesy, but, <laughs> um, I was thinking about it and it's almost like my sense of home switched from geography. And I think of it more in the form of like relationships. Now. Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. Know, yeah. It's, it's kind of, an, that's an, that's just interesting little sidebar of what you're you're talking about like you know my my closest friends and family and especially my wife that feels like home yeah it doesn't matter where you are absolutely so yeah 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 so yeah and yeah so like i said i I have a weird or or a more i don't know like a a certain kind of relationship with the idea of home because i moved around so much you know i like almost moved like every other year you know in my early years so i think the idea of the physical home because people you know in the book it talked a lot about talked a lot about your childhood home you know Mm -hmm. like memories of specific spaces within that home and where where you what you put in those psychological spaces in in your own memory you know and i was like well i'd never really had a childhood home like i had several but there was never a consistent space where you know 
I could think about, you know, an attic or a specific drawer that meant a lot because I moved around so much. So, you know, um, but yeah, I think nowadays too, like as, as one gets older, um, our sense of home definitely, um, extends beyond like the physical home that we had and, and definitely it, it has to do with, with the people we're with and the relationships. Yeah. Wow. So my, my, some, one of my friends who listens to the show makes, makes fun of me. He says, uh, you know, you, sh- you need to give us a warning when you go and do the, the, what he calls the hippie shit uh, <laughs> segment. <laughs> I think we just did it. Yeah. Tear-jerking moment. <laughs> I think you have to put some background music in, in that yeah. one right now. When you, yeah. Yeah. Maybe some of that, that, uh, what was that? The Chinese harp. Yeah, the, yeah some Chinese heart music. <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little bit more about um, your education and mm-hmm. particularly uh, you're, you're working towards or have your PhD in ethnomusicology. Is that right? Yeah, um, I'm working towards it I'm in kind of the latter stages of it right now. Um, in, in fact, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to Germany um, to attend a, an international workshop in ethnomusicology. So it's um, for a small group of participants who are in the later stages of their PhD, and we get a you know we get to critique each other's work. We get mentors. We have to presents our our own research that kind of stuff so okay. i'm yeah what does a dissertation look like in in an ethnomusicology program uh it's really ethnomusicology at at the moment is is really really diverse um mm-hmm. i re- i recently just posted a, a thing on facebook because uh, i i came across this article about an ethnomusicologist that um does research on air guitar competitions like international air (laughs) and it's like it's an article written by an ethnomusicologist who spent you know his i think it's his uh you know his research is on like the cultural practice of competing as an air guitarist (laughs) so that's one example of what ethnomusicologists do yeah and what are what is your what is your dissertation going to be on or is on um, my dissertation is still related to music technology. Um, it would, it's on, um, so my dissertation is on virtual world instruments. So, um, you know, sp- specifically like sample based, uh, virtual world or ethnic instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we all have come across, you know, a lot of, uh, Everybody uses VSTs, uses plugins. We've all come across those things that are um, marketed as, you know, virtual ethnic instruments like the Motu Ethno and, you know, various contact libraries and stuff. And uh, I'm kind of approaching it from a cultural perspective um, because I've, I have a background in um, musical performance and like Japanese taiko drumming and other sort of um, music traditions, performance traditions. And I have, you know, a background in music technology. Um, I'm very interested to explore sort of cultural dimensions of these so-called, you know, virtual world instruments. You know, what happens when you take a, um, 
yeah, let's say like Chinese zither, you record notes from the acoustic instruments, you know, you sample it, you program it into, you know, a, a, a GUI, you package it, and it ends up on someone's computer, you know, mm-hmm. and you play it with a MIDI keyboard. So there's a lot of things happening, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of things that, that, a lot of translations, a lot of disembodiments and, and a lot of things happening in that process. So, um, and surprisingly, no one, no one's actually done any sort of research on it. So, um, I thought that based on my background and, you know, I'm pretty well equipped to, uh, to look, to explore this. Yeah. That sounds really fascinating. And just from listening to you talk about it for those, you know, few minutes, I would imagine there's probably some, some really, um, cool and uh i don't know what the word i'm trying to look for but like mm. uh like like positive outcomes you know maybe somebody gets exposed to a, a sure. type of instrument a type of music that they haven't heard of before um but are there any kind of maybe a little darker sides to it it seems like it might be a double-edged sword thing it's um, definitely a double-edged sword and you know i'm i'm just at the beginning of my research and so um, you know, I, you know, we talk to, talk to people and I think in anthropomusicology, um, we talk a lot about, you know, things like, uh, sort of the, the, the darker, darker themes of, of globalization, such as, you know, cultural appropriation and, and, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and it's really easy to, to just look at these, these commodities and say, oh, these are all, you know, a lot of these could be might be seen as as forms of cultural appropriation um but i at the moment at this point i'm I'm trying really hard to um not go in with with all these a lot of assumptions you know um my main my main interest is really actually talking to developers and seeing where they come from um okay uh, yeah, this yeah. must be murky. That, that that just seems like because that was the first thing I thought when I thought of maybe something that would be a darker side of it. Mm-hmm. And um, but I, those are murky waters. I, I mean, I, yeah. I would imagine. So yeah, that's I'm, I'm really I'd, I'd like to keep in contact with you sure. and, and read read and uh, read what you got when you're done because I think I think this is this is the because it's a weird time in the world. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's yeah. a very very strange time, and yeah. um, you know. You know, there things like cultural appropriation, some people, you know, you know, kind of dismiss as being like a little too like lefty social justice warrior. And mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's some people that might take it a little too far. And mm-hmm. I think uh, I think, you know, what for the most part, we probably hear from the loudest people on each side. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think stuff like what you're doing is is going to be important for yeah. people to maybe actually get to sink their teeth into real information and, and, and have somebody who, who is like looked at it in, in such depth that you're like, well, mm-hmm. I'm going to take your word for it. Cause you know way more about it than I do. <laughs> and no, I mean, and it's a con- continuous, like it's all, I mean, like things change every day, you know, um, mm-hmm. even within like, you know, the, the Japanese taiko tradition, the art form as it is today, is like every day there's some, someone's doing something new. And it's transforming yeah. the tradition. Um, and in terms of my dissertation, I've 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 been compiling a database of like you know virtual 
world instrument like products and so so far i've got like over 400 like individual titles um stuff from like kind of the larger collections like the east west stuff to some like apps there's like you know there's gamelon apps or there's some taiko apps um there's just so much out there um but i'm mainly and i'm only mainly really looking at like sample based stuff so i'm interested in in looking at like the 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 mechanisms of like actual like taking an acoustic instrument and sampling it taking snapshots of it um but then there's also like categories of like you know other virtual instruments that you know that are physical modeling or that are Uh just like synthesized you know i'm I'm not even think i'm not even you know going into like workstations that have like um so-called like ethnic sounds in them so i'm i'm looking at really specific Things. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as uh, the the higher you get in, you know, in in academia, and then the, mm-hmm. the 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 finer your point of focus gets. So you know, talk, talking. If you wanted to do as broad a research as just you know taking that next step from what you're doing to what you're just talking about, mm-hmm. that's that's a whole other dissertation on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's something people don't understand about academia. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's pretty funny. People think, well, they have a PhD. They must know everything. It's like, I no. know everything about one <laughs> small sliver or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember a, a high school teacher once made the joke that uh, an expert is someone who knows more and more about less and less until they know everything about nothing. And I always, <laughs> I always remember that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in the... So I, I, I went uh, to school for seven years, but I didn't study music. Mm-hmm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to uh, come full circle here on something. Mm-hmm. But, but just a little bit of my background, mm-hmm. I always kind of shied away from, from trying to study music or reading books. That were like, this mm-hmm. is your brain on music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why I was always kind of had an aversion to that. For mm-hmm. me, like music was, was playtime. And then when I studied, I actually got into anthropology and further mm-hmm. went into primatology. So I have a cool. degree in um, primate behavior. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah. So I want to talk about your work with uh, donating to uh, save the orangutans. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. before we get there, um, do you find that studying music while being a musician mm-hmm. I mean, how how do those interplay? I mean, you're still making music, so you must, must still love it. Um, yeah. How do you keep those things separate? How do you keep work and play separate and, and keep passionate about both? Well, one thing I think uh, I was very proud of was deciding not to do my PhD on modular, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah, a couple of a my move. friends have actually switched their <laughs> thesis to, to, to study modular. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to, like, study the thing that I'm, I'm currently like just enjoying. Um, Mm -hmm. so that I decided, you know, a while ago that I wasn't going to study the modular stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I used to struggle with the idea of going to school for music as well. And even now, you know, if I'm doing workshop or talking to like younger, younger people about, you know, making music and, you know, if people ask us, oh, do you have to go to school for music? 
I would say no, no, not not yeah. at all. Um, it it depends. I think you never lose anything by learning more. Um, mm-hmm. I think going to school for music um, definitely gives you a lot of tools. You know, it gives you a lot of vocabulary. Um, it allows you to communicate with other musicians mm-hmm. if you need to. Um, to to you know speak in a certain musical language if if that's the musical environment you want to get into but i don't think um like a formal music education especially i I, like a theoretical education in music um has any bearing on on you know how how powerful you can write a piece of music or yeah write a song i think i would i and the older I get, the more I am kind of getting drawn into reading about how music affects your brain and everything. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, just kind of just, you know, diving into literature about abstract musical concepts or, yeah. or anything, you know, stuff like that. But I think I used to think that getting into it was gonna, you know, poison my, my muse in some way. But I think looking yeah. back, it was just probably, I was afraid to find out that I wasn't that good or something. No, but I seriously <laughs> though, like I, I did my music degree like a few years after my first degree, which was in, um, religious studies and, uh, philosophy, but I didn't, but that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to like, I didn't do music in high school either. It could, yeah. it, I, I just didn't, um, and I didn't feel like I wanted to s- go into university for music. Um, and and recently I, I dug out some of my old, like some cassette tapes I had recorded, all those cas- like cakewalk sessions. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I really feel like th- those, like those songs that I wrote before I went to university for music was, all of them were actually m- more creative <laughs> than, really? than music that I made after. I mean, I didn't have the same kind of tools. Obviously, I didn't have the same... In terms of my knowledge of synthesis, I mean, it, it's hard to compare it, but I think in, in uh-huh. terms of just like melodic ideas or just in terms of chord progressions, I actually had... I felt like I had more interesting melodic ideas back then because I wasn't... I didn't learn about, you know fifths and 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 fourths and what what's logical and that's that well you're kind of validating my i am totally validating your your (laughs) so i'm agreeing i'm agreeing with you yeah um well that's funny mm. you say that because i i I read i think it was on your band camp but Mm -hmm. something that is um one of your biggest you know a big source of inspiration or something that you like to try to capture with Mm -hmm. your music is is the sense of nostalgia Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is was that kind of born from revisiting some of your older stuff that you made, or um, not necessarily the music I made back then, but I think maybe some of the emotions that uh-huh. were that inspired that, that inspired me to express myself musically back then. Yeah, I think I'm still revisiting some of that. Um, oh, I had I had a point. I. <laughs> Oh, I forgot. Oh, sorry, I totally okay. derailed you. <laughs> Something but, oh. about learning more about mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. making you... Oh, yeah. Um, and I have to say, like, m- some of my 
like some of the best musicians I've met so far, like a lot of the people I would consider the best musicians are actually the ones who have actually like absolutely no formal education. They just have a, a, a good sense. They just have a musical sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and there's always been that kind of, uh, there was always that, um, that folklore around music. Like for me growing yeah. up, you know, you know, you hear these, like these, these fables of these, you know, Oh my God, this, you think he's good. He's never took a lesson. So like yeah. growing up, I always wanted, and, and you know, I, by seventh grade, I was, you know, a li- probably a little better than average uh-huh. at just plink at plinking on a guitar, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, I, and then you know, I, my I had family members who knew nothing about music, and I would hear them brag about me and be like, "Yeah, he doesn't even take lessons." So, I think mm-hmm. I held on to that too, which yeah, m- maybe was good, but I, I kind of wish I would have maybe had a little bit more of a middle path in that, like yeah, learned a little bit more at the beginning or something, but. Uh, yeah. yeah, it is funny how that kind of that folklore of of stuff like that can really influence your approach mm-hmm. to how you want to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, like I don't think there's definitely no loss to to learning more ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I lost anything by by you know by by learning more theory or you know, and I think people, I think everyone kind of finds their path i think some people are more drawn to towards um like understanding certain structures in music and that fuels their creativity um and and others you know others work differently um yeah yeah and and what's motivating you has a huge you know has, there's just so yeah. many facts you could do a dissertation on this i'm sure oh totally I, i'm <laughs> i'm sure there's already a dissertation on, on that <laughs> yeah, and, yeah me, like mute the psychology of music and um how people learn music and, yeah man we this this has been one of the fastest com- um episodes i've recorded <laughs> we're already almost at an hour i feel like we just started um but that makes for good listening, I think. Um, Hopefully, but we're yeah. This is no. This is I. I I know my the audience is gonna eat this up. This is this is uh, we don't we don't do a lot of academic talk, mm. and this has been very accessible academic talk. So I'm I'm excited because I've been out of academia for <laughs> you know eight or eight or nine years now. Uh-huh. So it's kind of cool to hear yeah. hear somebody who's still doing it talk about it. Yeah. Um, hmm. And speaking of my academic stuff, like mm-hmm. I said, I I. Um, I worked with chimpanzees, with, uh, did sign language with them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, primates have always yeah. been really big to me. And when I saw that you were donating, um, you know, some of your proceeds from your new album, mm-hmm. to what, what is the foundation? Uh, I think it's just simply called the Orangutan Project. Okay, um, great. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm, I'm just curious how that came about. And, and <laughs> it's yeah. so slightly embarrassing, but it was like through <laughs> through just like Facebook. Um, well, I, I think, I think uh, there's been a lot of dis- discourse recently, or you know, last little while about um, climate change and environmental concerns and how that affects you know other life forms on the planet. And you know, I I watch Sir David, you know, BBC yeah, Planet uh-huh, Earth like uh-huh. on a regular basis, so. I've always been very drawn to to that kind of stuff and and 
And I think there's kind of a heightened awareness about uh, climate change recently. Um, and, and then I came across this like sponsored ad about the Orangutan project. I, I, I don't know why it popped up, but, but reading about how, um, you know, they are, they are critically, critically endangered at the moment mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of, of the palm oil plantations. Uh, they're in an utterly like helpless state. Um, so well, yeah, they're just yeah. sequestered to Borneo and Sumatra. I think I, know, I yeah. think a lot of people know that they're not. I think people think of orangutan and they think maybe just uh, all of Southeast Asia, but yeah. it's just these two yeah. relatively small islands that have heavy de deforestation. Yeah, so yeah. Um, and well, so I just decided um, the the little that I make <laughs> through Bandcamp, <laughs> you know, I. And and it's also I, I was talking to a friend like I mean I I feel, I'm fortunate enough that I um, you know I have enough work where that that little bit of money I, I I don't really you know need it for my livelihood and and the music that I make you know I've been able to make it out of you know in my leisure time and 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 so you know I feel like I should just do something you know meaningful with it um yeah and so I, yeah mm. i love i love i love that the spirit of of that you know of 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 hey i'm gonna donate proceeds from this thing that i love to this other thing um because it's you know it gets people to listen to your music and mm -hmm. it also gets people thinking about something that maybe wasn't on their radar at the time so yeah it's kind of a win-win yeah I, I i feel that way yeah um it makes me feel good about making music as well um, it makes me feel good about like promoting it. It's not just to like, Hey, listen to my music, but it's like, Hey, I'm, you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I I'm and terrible at self-promotion to begin with. It's, so. it's rough, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I hate it. hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the new album is called, um, to place to free, right? Is that? Yeah. So it's kind of a play on, um, let me just call up my band camp page yeah so it's the character is a chinese character um so chinese characters like one character can mean a, a bunch of different things mm -hmm. so this particular character in cantonese is fong so it could mean like to release uh to free and so the song titles are words that are usually are often paired with this character so the first track is hoi so fong hoi means to let go okay and then the second character is a character for heart and if you pair that with the album character it actually means to um to feel at rest to okay to feel like to feel calm and so yeah so i just sort of decided to uh and and i'm also really terrible at song titles <laughs> so <laughs> chinese characters are actually better because like one character can can be can be like mean a vast number of things so it's nice and abstract i um, like that yeah that's cool yeah yeah i i'm, I'm having a hard time um i just made an album and it, it i want it it's basically supposed to be just like a 33 minute 
track, but it, it mm-hmm. really is just different tracks that fade into each other. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I kind of intend it to be listened to all, all together, but mm-hmm. I also think that's a little bit of an imposition. If you're like, I like the one that's 17 minutes in, right. I don't feel like I should have to make you this. So I'm trying <laughs> to think of names for my, my songs and yeah. I'm almost just thinking about like getting like a, a Carl Jung book out and just like randomly flipping <laughs> through pages until I see a word that looks cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm a huge fan of Carl Jung as well. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah, or like mythological characters or, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, go through like the, the Joseph Campbell stuff. Yeah, that got, totally. And, which I have so many Joseph Campbell books and I've read, you know, like one eighth of maybe two of them. But right. yeah. I, I swear you read three pages of his stuff and that's like reading 20 pages of anything else. There's a lot to unpack yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen more commas in one sentence in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't read a lot of Joseph Campbell, but I did take a couple of Carl Jung courses in, in university when I was doing my religion degree. I took a couple of psychology degrees, uh, okay. psychology courses, and they were specifically like focused on Carl Jung. And yeah, he and he's also a very dense writer. Mm-hmm. His stuff. Yeah, I think yeah. I think most of Joseph Campbell's stuff is basically just like distilled Carl Jung. Right, which um, is still yeah. really dense. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. So I just uh I, I went to uh, my little random adjective and noun generator oh, and gosh. I feel like <laughs> this isn't the coolest it's it's maybe not the coolest pairing of words, but it's uh-huh. I feel like it's kind of fitting. Uh-huh. But at the same time it might be something where you're like, nah, so I can definitely hit generate another, but I got passionate drum. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's like, well, it's kind of, since you're, yeah. you're a drummer, but because you're a drummer, maybe mm-hmm. that sounds boring. So we can, we can roll the dice again if you want. Uh, no, we can, we can, we can work with that. I can, I can work with that. Sweet. Well, so, <laughs> so how does this so work? What? Like, yeah. So what, what I do is usually we stop recording and, mm-hmm. and hang up. And uh-huh. All right. Let's do a quick and dirty, not too many details. Just, uh, just going to show you some more of uh, how a, this dub matrix from low gain electronics can really bring a patch to life. I'm um, using the short bus as well. Um, so I'm triggering, uh, Erica Pico drums with the, uh, the short bus, which is being fed from Ileana from Omi industries, the shuffling clock multiplier and the tempi for make noise. Um, and then I'm feeding the, uh, the, um, the drums into a phonogene and then also feeding it into, uh, the input a of the stereo dipole filter. Um, and then I'm controlling all sorts of parameters of the phonogene with the dub matrix and then, um, all sorts of parameters on the stereo dipole filter with the, uh, the dub matrix. And of course the chrono blob two. um, controlling with a dub matrix and I've got some reverb from disting and uh yeah that's that's about all you need to know just all sorts of cv envelopes lfos uh schlappy engineering angle grinder of course is supplying some lfos ornament and crime and maths so let's just let's just take a listen so right now I don't have any of the cv engaged from the uh dub matrix So let's just uh, introduce some CV from uh, the C channel into the uh, very speed of the phonogene.
and then I've also got the gene size on channel B coming out of a dub matrix so let's see what happens with that now it's hard to hear because I've got this running into uh, the stereo dipole filter and I'm not uh, I haven't engaged any of the channels that are controlling the uh, frequency and spread and resonance on this thing so why don't we just do that um, I'm running the dipole out into the cutting room floor from recovery effects so that's given us our nice dirt uh, delay there and you will hear that more as I turn these on so let's just turn the rest of the uh, dub matrix on I'm just going to mess with the attenuators on the dub matrix and mix these CVs up a little bit differently. I'm just going to randomly do it to show you how much different this will be. So I just went through each channel and rearranged the CV attenuators so you can hear how different it is. Now I'm going to do it again. So let's listen for a few seconds, lock this in our memory bank. Now I'm going to start messing with it. change the uh, the master clock speed so we can really get in some weirdness again just mess them all up Uh, switch to the uh, the tape delay on the chrono blob. I'm using this in the uh, ping pong mode.
So like I said, I, I have been just randomly turning these attenuators because um, I just, A, I'm getting my head wrapped around how this thing works, and B, it's actually a really good demonstration of how versatile you can make a patch with the dumb matrix. So, you know, you sit down, you spend a few hours finding the perfect blends of uh, CV sources and where you want to put them, and uh, the sky's the limit. So don't forget to check out the dub matrix from Low Gain Electronics and the Short Bus. Both very, very cool. Uh, stereo dipole filter from Steady State Fate. Um, the Chrono Blob 2 from All Right Devices. Cutting Room 4 from Recovery Effects. And of course the Disting Mark IV is so much fun. Um, yeah, stay tuned for some more demos coming in the near future with this amazing gear. Awesome. So you got passionate drum. Yeah. What was what was that like? Um yeah, I thought that was a very like sort of a, a, a pro, appropriate, I guess. Uh yeah, yeah, based on based on our conversation and related to my background. Um and I yeah, and passionate drum. Yeah, it it, it kind of sounds you know, it's it's not a fancy sort of phrase, um, so it, you know, you can you can think of different ways to interpret that. So, what was it like patching and un- patching under the clock? Uh, super stressful. <laughs> Even with my <laughs> eight module little suitcase, it was. I was like, oh my uh-huh. god! But then when I did like when I did end up patching something. And then I looked at the clock. It was like only like six minutes. <laughs> I was like, oh, um, <laughs> but it, it, it was fun. Yeah. Sometimes the, yeah, sometimes the, the gods of time are, are fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've only done a handful of them, but, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, I'm like, oh, I think I've got this mostly mm-hmm. done and, oh, I've got six more mm-hmm. minutes left. And then sometimes I'm like, I, I want to start over, but I only have three minutes left. I can't. So. Yeah. But constraints are good. Constraints are, 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 are fun. Yeah, I think it's a good practice, and I haven't said it in a while, so I urge, I urge the listeners. I have a, a PodMod Patch Challenge group on Facebook, cool. and then you can also just use that hashtag, mm-hmm. and I'd like to hear, uh, hear the audience's uh, interpretation of passionate drum. Yeah, well. yeah. 
Well, Heidi, I really appreciate your time. This this was a really really fun conversation. Um, I, I I always get a little bit of a glow after after I have mm-hmm. a conversation mm-hmm. with people, and uh, yeah, well, it's nice. Oh, so thank you for your gosh, time. like I thank you so much for asking me to to chat. Like I'm super flattered, and yeah, like thank you so much, and yeah, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much. Good. Is now so point people in the direction of all things Heidi that you want people to check out. Um, so at the moment I have a band camp, it's just bachelard, B-A-C-H-E-L-A-R-D, uh, dot band camp. Um, I have a SoundCloud, it's just SoundCloud hotel bachelard. And those were more, I started putting up the modular stuff on SoundCloud first. So a lot of the earlier stuff were really like, really just like bedroom jams that are not a lot of uh-huh. <laughs> uh i think over over the last couple of years i started like deleting some stuff and putting up a bit more like listenable stuff um but uh-huh. but actually the soundcloud um i do have a few of my live sets on it so if people are interested in oh, cool. in, in the live sets um my approach to live sets is i always try to do something quite different from the last time so I have a live set that's much more rhythmic, that's based on like a lot of logic gates. And then there's other ones that are, I've incorporated a couple of sets. I've incorporated the Japanese bamboo flute into it through loopers and stuff. So might be something that people might be interested in listening to. Awesome. Um, And don't forget, listener, that if you you buy Heidi's stuff on Bandcamp, that you'll also be helping to save the orangutans. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, and I can't... Please keep in touch about your dissertation. So I would love to read it when it's done, when, if, if, if that's yeah, all right. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'd love to keep in touch and uh, get best of luck with Podular Modcast and, thank and you. your, your music making and, and everything. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I'm going to stop, stop recording now. Thank you.
Thank <laughs> you. 
Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Heidi, for being on the show. Don't forget to go to bachelor.bandcamp.com to check out uh, some of Heidi's music. I highly recommend it. Also, if you'd like to go to the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash podular modcast to uh, help us keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podmod, I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, also, we've got uh, t shirts, Podmod and Podmod Bod t-shirts and those will come with a sticker if you order one so go to podularmodcast.bandcamp.com thank you all for listening and until next week